The following resource is by CBC Mokopani. For more resources like this, check out our website at www.christbaptistmokopani.com. Friends, this morning I want to invite you to please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Philippians. Um, Paul writes this letter to the church in Philippi. This is a book that we have studied um, in 2017 with much detail. In fact, when I arrived here in 2017, we were quite scattered. um, And many of you who were part of us um, that early on would know um, the church at that point was, was just a weekend ministry in the sense that we would get together on a Friday night for Bible study, and then we would get together on a Sunday morning for worship. Uh, and nothing else was really happening until our official call to come here in 2018, um, where we officially you know, established as a church and became autonomous. So, very thankful just for God's Word, especially the theme throughout this letter. And when I think back to 2017, the theme in our series was joy in Philippians. Joy in Philippians. And if you would know the background to this letter, the Apostle Paul was in prison. And not just in prison like you've seen on TV where they actually have TVs and they can get what they want. In the Roman Empire, a prison cell was basically uh, a place to lock you up in the dark, in the gum, to await your trial, right? There was, there was no prisoners feeding you. Um, you had no clothing changes, no bedding. If you, if you needed anything, if you wanted anything, um, people from the outside had to literally come and visit you um, and provide that for you. And in a lot of cases, um, how these prison cells would look, I call it a cell because it's something we're trying to relate to, but you'd literally be kind of under the ground and there would be some steelware above you and people could literally come to you there as you are in your little cell underground and people visiting you here on the ground. So Paul is in such a situation when he writes this letter and the one theme that keeps coming forward is his joy. Um, Numerous times in this very letter Paul tells the church rejoice. Again I say rejoice. Um, he, he shares with the church that I've had plenty, I've had little, still, his joy is in the Lord. And so when we come to, by the time we come to chapter 4, Paul has shared a great deal of what the Lord has done in his heart, how the Lord has used him in the church throughout the regions. Um, Paul shares how he has been shipwrecked. I mean, you have to think about it. He has been shipwrecked three times. Um, He was bitten by poisonous snakes. Um, He was stoned. And now when we read that in Scripture, we go, poor guy, he was thrown with stones. And that must have been harsh. What you don't realize in the context, stoning someone was a form of execution. So it's very likely, Scripture doesn't tell us this, so we don't build a theology on it. It's very likely that they stoned Paul... And the Lord resurrected him. Do you follow? You didn't just stone someone for fun. It was a form of execution. So this brother endured all these things. 
He is in prison awaiting another trial, which, you know, is going to lead to, to the end. This is what he says in these verses. Follow along. From verse 1, he says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So twice, when he refers to fellow Christians, he refers to them as my beloved. These are people whom I love and who I trust love me. He goes on and he writes further, and this is just the extent of Paul's love to the church. I entreat Euodia and Sentiki to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women whom I have, who, who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true and whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Let's just ask the Lord's direction. Father, we now trust as we've read these words and as our attention is on your truth. May our hearts be ready to be molded according to such likeness. In your name, amen. Friends, our theme, if you haven't noticed, is overcoming discontentment. Overcoming discontentment. For those of, us, for those of you visiting us you know, for the first time, welcome. Um, it's an honor to have you part of us. Just a bit of context. How we usually do things is we go through a series at a time. And we have just finalized a series, Family God's Way. And I, I believe for many of you, as for us, it was a great service to be part of, a series. Um, and it's really just encouraged us and challenged us to pursue the Lord in, in all our relationships. But because our time as, as a couple and as your pastor is so little... Um, there's not time to really jump into a series. So what I have thought is to pray that the Lord would lay on my heart what is needed for us as a church during this transition and during this time. And really the Lord has laid this on my heart for me, but also for us as a group. Because friends, you can amen or not, many of us struggle with contentment. Yes? I mean, if you are here this morning solely content in everything that the Lord has brought on your path, your path, you really don't need to be here. Right? But I doubt there's anyone in this room that can say, I am 100% content with my life right now. Especially with all the thorns in my flesh, 
especially with my neighbors who, they don't irritate me, I love them. If that's you, man, the Lord has done a miraculous you know, work in your heart. But when I look around the room and I look into my own heart, there are many areas where we fall short when it comes to being content in the Lord. When I use the word content, you can also think of the word satisfied. Are you satisfied with life right now? 100% satisfied. You are okay with everything the Lord has brought on your path. I think we fail to see just how much discontentment has become part of our hearts, part of our attitudes, part of our thinking pattern. If you had to record yourself for an entire day and listen back to that recording, you'll quickly notice and ask yourself, is this really me? Do I say those things? Do I believe those things? Paul would say, far be it. Yet that's our hearts. Just about everything in this world makes us discontent, isn't it? If you are pursuing fitness and you walk past a fitness store or a clothing store and you see just the, the models they have on, on, the, on display, you go, man, why can't I get there? When you're driving a car and you're your desire is to have something reliable and you stop at one of these lights and just a very nice car, perhaps your dream car, stops next to you. What's the first thing that comes to mind? What's the very thing that's in your heart? Why can I not just own one of these? What is it going to take to get there? Right? When you look at relationships around you and all these things, my dear friends, is, is covetousness. You look at everything around you and you say, why can't I have that? Why can't I have this? Why can't it be like this in my workspace? Amen? Everything in the world makes us so discontent. Nobody seems content with anything these days. We are now, if I'm not mistaken, at stage six load shedding. Praise the Lord. I mean, that's pretty incredible to get to this point. Yes? Lord's teaching us something. Come on, church. We live in a town that has a history, at least for the last seven years, of struggling with water. Who's had water in their taps the last three days? Who's been able to do washing in the last three days? Who has a baby at home that wears uh, cloth nappies that needs to be washed? We are just so discontent with the way things are. It's like, no, but the government owes us these things. Did you sign that agreement? Friends, the Lord may bring these obstacles across our paths to reveal what is in our hearts. And most of the time, what is in our hearts is idolatry. We worship a certain lifestyle. We worship certain circumstances. We want them. We desire them. We will covet for them. Instead, when we look at contentment, contentment, true contentment, is something we can only have 
once we are satisfied with God. Do you get that? Contentment is something we can only have once we are satisfied with God. Because if we are satisfied with God, we are thankful for the very situation we are in. We are thankful for the very or few things that we have. Do you follow? The psalmist in Psalm 36 says, How precious is your loving kindness, O God! Therefore the sons of man take refuge in the shadow of your wings, and they are content. Do you get what Scripture says? If you want contentment, you have to be satisfied in what Jesus is doing for you right now. Not what you think He's going to do. Not what He has done. But what He's doing right now. It continues. Psalm 63. By the way, this is just the introduction. So buckle up. Psalm 63. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. That's contentment. He goes on, he says, Thus will I bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied. In other words, my soul is content. Psalm 65, just down the road from this very psalm, says, We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, O God of our salvation. How many of us in the last couple of days have prayed something very similar to this? Or was our prayer life characterized by grumbling and complaining? Not going to the Lord and casting the burden. Literally going to the Lord and saying, this is messed up. I need change. Maybe not in those words, but certainly with that attitude. Certainly with such a hardened heart. Listen, the issue with discontentment is this. It leads to anxiety. Do you follow? Discontentment leads to stress. And stress or anxiety leads to fear. Are you with me? And so when we're discontent, we just become so overwhelmed. Listen, I'm sure you can attest to this. When we are discontent and it leads to all these other things, we become physically ill. Is it not? And where did it start? Oh, Satan's attacking me again. The domain of darkness is oppressing me. James says, it's your own heart. James says, this is you. Your desires are not being met. That's why you feel this way. That's why you think these things. And you have exchanged the truth for a lie. Don't worry, we're coming to the outline. So the answer to overcoming discontentment and I'll give it to you in the, here in the beginning of the sermon. The answer to overcoming discontentment is to be satisfied in the Lord. That's the answer. But you know, like in maths, many of you who are writing exams, especially finals, you can't just write down the answer, can you? Yes, no. In maths, can you literally just write down the answer? What, what needs to happen? There's a whole formula. There's a whole outline that needs to be worked through, isn't it? Right. 
Paddy's a math teacher. He'll amen this. So, here's where we start. We start with our outline, which says we have five commands that teach us to be content. Five commands that teaches us to be content. Listen, we need to be training. Scripture says we are training in righteousness, isn't it? And part of our training in righteousness is to train contentment. Yes? We don't just wake up and we are content. We don't just wake up and are satisfied with the Lord. So let's start with a fellowship with believers. Fellowship with believers. That's the first command. And it leads to this contentment. Paul says, my brothers who I love and long for, my joy and my crown. That is so personal. This is a person sitting in prison, awaiting trial, awaiting his death sentence. And what does he say? My joy and my crown are in the fellowship with believers. I long for that fellowship. I I long for that unity. You look around in the room this morning and you'll say, you know, last week we were double in number. Is it because of the business meeting? Perhaps. Perhaps. Something what happens is when we, when we withdraw from the assembly of believers, we are isolating ourselves. You know what isolation from the church means or isolation from anyone means? Pride. Pride causes isolation and separation. Pride says, I can do all things by myself because I'm a Christian. Because I've done it before. Scripture says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And Christ who strengthens me tells me I need to be part of a fellowship of believers. So Paul tells us that this contentment he has, even though he's in prison, even though his circumstances are disastrous, he still shares joy in the fact that there is an assembly of believers gathering together in the name of the Lord, praying for his situation, reaching out to him, comforting him, right? So there's contentment in the fellowship of believers. This is what Paul wanted to do, preach, travel, teach, and he has done that. With great obstacles. We've seen that. He has appointed church leaders. But now, all those things have come to a standstill. Because he's stuck in prison. And in verse 11 he says, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I've learned contentment. Put yourself in the situation. The moment anything prevents you from doing what you were about to do, how, how do you react? You complain. You grumble. Because why is this thing preventing me from doing what I want to do? It's discontentment. Instead, what is Paul's attitude? Instead of complaining that he's in prison, instead of complaining that he can't preach and appoint church elders, he writes a letter to fellow believers, 
to tell them that he's praying for them and that he longs to see them. That is completely opposite to how we just react on the daily. It's like we want to complain, isn't it? You don't want to amen in church, but I know. It's like we want to complain. If you queue at any one of the retail stores and, and somebody starts a conversation with you, what's the first thing they start talking about? Apart from the weather. Bad service. Ugh, this country. Ugh. Is that a heart that glorifies God? Not at all. Not at all. Paul says, in whatever circumstance I have been in, I have learned to be content. Do you think he was stuck in a queue complaining about the service? Friends, his life, his life was threatened on so many occasions. And yet he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Now let's go to the basics. Matthew 6, 25. Jesus gives us the reason to be content at the most basic level. And this is an area we probably fail at daily. Jesus says, Matthew 6, 25. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or drink, nor for your body as to you, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, being worried, can add a single hour to his life? Jesus gets down to the basics of contentment. The very basics. And we can't even deal with that. We can't even deal with the fact that Jesus Christ, the author of creation, says, I'll take care of you. And we go, nope. I don't see it. Nothing's happening. The world is ending. Jesus says, be content in me. I provide. And we can't even get what's foundational right Coming back to our text, Philippians chapter 4, Paul says, If we struggle with contentment, we can find contentment among other believers. Some people don't think that church is very important. A lot of people would, would stress the fact that we can just drift in and out. Jesus loves us. Just come and go as we please. Let's, let's not commit to a group of people. The church is not a building. I don't have to be there. You're right. The church is not a building. It's a people. But it's a people who gather, in this case, in a building. Some folks don't want to get involved. They're happy just to attend. Happy just to show up and then be on their way. Do you think... You can find Christian contentment when that is how you approach the church. But then you see the thing is, people like that go home and say, but the church doesn't love me. People don't reach out to me. People don't speak to me. 
My question is, but what are you doing about it? Have you been available for the church to serve you? Have you reached out your hand and say, I have these needs? This is why we're discontent. I continue. The fact that you forsake the assembly of believers will also mean that you lack certain resources. You'll lack ongoing encouragement. For those of you who are going through something right now, is it fun to endure a trial by yourself? To have no one know about it? To have nobody pray for you? Nobody to encourage you? Not at all. Not at all. Paul says in, in, in God's word, weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. How are we going to do that when we're not in the assembly of believers? We'll remain discontent. Go back to Philippians chapter 3. Paul here talks about, just some context, Paul talks about our citizenship being in heaven. Meaning we are members of the kingdom of God, the family of God. And heaven is our eternal home. But if that's the case, and we don't live like that right now, how do you think you will experience contentment? You won't. A lot of us live as if we're not citizens of heaven. A lot of us live as if we have a lanyard, which is one of those little tokies around the neck with a, a card that has your name and it says you're attending this conference. A lot of us have a lanyard like that that says, Lucas Stoll's Christian awaiting heaven. And that's it. That is it. We don't use that lanyard to be part of the gathering. It's like we don't even show up to the conference. But we have these expectations about what heaven will be like. But we're not heaven, heavenly minded. When Paul says, Think about these things, whatever is true, whatever is lovely. We don't think about those things because we're so consumed with the very things that upset us. We never experience contentment. And so what Paul does is he calls fellow believers my joy and crown. Listen, Paul is probably in one of the worst situations and he longs to be in fellowship. He knows that in fellowship there is encouragement, there is hope. So what, is, what does he tell them? He says, you are my beloved. Being in isolation, he needs people, still they are his joy. He's not saying, where's the church? I need the church, I'm in prison. No, he writes to the church and says, beloved, you are my joy and my crown. Because that's where he has experienced encouragement. That's where he has experienced hope. And so he longs to see them. They are the source of joy. Then he says they are his crown. That is to say that they are his ultimate reward of everything that he has done. He has done the work of the Lord faithfully in Philippi. And as a result... There's a church, a body of believers. He says, you are my crown. You are the result of faithful work. 
And these things make him content. And so God's word says very clearly in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Come together to stimulate one another to love and good works. There is a training in righteousness. Do you see that? Friends, we need to learn contentment. We need to practice contentment. I think a lot of us just think contentment is a position. Like I'm just going to wake up okay. I'm going to wake up just relying on the Lord. No, Scripture says work out your salvation. And that's what Paul tells us. And so he might sit here and say, but why is this important? Why is the fellowship of believers important for my contentment? Well, when you are alone, when you feel or experience isolation, here's the thing. Being part of the church means that you're not truly alone. Being part of the church means that there is a people of God who love you, who are willing to serve you, because you cannot make it by yourselves. You cannot. And don't turn on the church and say, yeah, but the church aren't doing these things. When you're not there. When you're not involved. When you're not reaching out. So Paul continues. And he gives us another example in verse 3. He starts by mentioning people. And he says, Euhadia and Sentiki. Then he mentions his true companion. Then he mentions another person, Clement. And then he says, the rest of my fellow workers whose name are in the book, or whose names are in the book of life. You see here, Paul, a man isolated in prison, reaching out to express love and naming the people that matter in his life. Because no matter what he has experienced, no matter the hurt, the rejection, he knows that he was never intended to be alone. That's why he mentions these people. That's why he mentions that these two women should be reconciled in the Lord. Because we need the fellowship of believers. He goes down further. I think it's verse 18. Um, Paul says the following. Yes, verse 18. For I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received Epaphroditus. There's another person. A minister from the church was sent to encourage Paul. And again he says, my joy and my crown. Friends, if we don't love one another, if we don't love the church, if we don't love the assembly of believers, you will struggle with discontentment. Because God has not created us for isolation. He has created us to be a community of believers. Loving each other. Stirring each other to good works. Stirring each other to a place of hope. Admonishing one another. Singing psalms and hymns. But when we play Lone Ranger, we become discontent. Because of our covetousness, our pride, and whatever else overwhelms us. 
So secondly, we have another command that, that is to stimulate us towards contentment. Another command that is to stimulate us to contentment. And that is to cultivate joy. Cultivate joy. Look at verse 4. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. I love this text. I love this text because no matter what culture you live in or part of, when was the last time you saw a public demonstration of joy? When was the last time you saw a public demonstration of joy? Maybe when somebody got engaged and you were there in public, it's like, hey, that's exciting. Maybe when you went to a sports game and the team that you support won, it's like, yeah, that's, yeah, that's great. How about in the church? In the church, time and time again, more often than none, we're celebrating. We're celebrating people coming into membership. We're celebrating people who surrender their lives to Christ. We're celebrating the baptism of believers. Public demonstrations of joy. Amen? On a prayer, a prayer group on a Tuesday, every single week, by God's good hand, we are rejoicing in the fact that God is answering prayer. He's hearing us. He knows us. And He answers those prayers. I mean, rabbit trail. Our brother Chris and, and, and Jenny are on their way to the airport. That's why they're not here this morning. And so, what you don't know is Chris had to apply for his visa to go to India. And apparently it takes a lot longer than what it did. We were praying like that this visa would come in six days because if it takes any longer, they might not have the assurance that he can make this trip. So he went through last week, he applied, and guess what? He left Thursday last week to go and pick up his visa approved. And it's amazing because Tuesday night, the, the last Tuesday, before that very next two days, there we are praying as our brother is trusting the Lord will hear and provide. They're on their way this morning so that he can fly out and, and once again do the Lord's faithful work. Friends, we've been praying for months for many of our members to, to experience a breakthrough where the Lord provides suitable income, security through a job, right? And he's done that. He has done that. And perhaps for some longer than others. Why? Because he's teaching contentment. Our brother Quibus, who has been searching for a church for almost a year and a half, a year and a half, the Lord has finally called him. And they are rejoicing, and we are rejoicing with them. The Lord teaches us contentment. But not, let not that lesson go to waste when you experience breakthrough. You experience breakthrough and you go, yes, the Lord has provided. Let us rejoice. And you forget the hardship. You forget the growth that it has produced. My dear friends, it's troubling that this is the way our hearts are prone to wander. Yes, our hearts are so prone to wander. Nonetheless, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. 
Again, I say, rejoice. Please look with me in the text. I want to show you something. When he says, rejoice in the Lord always, again, I will say, rejoice. A little English lesson, lesson here. It's in the present active imperative. Meaning it's a command for now. You do this now. You follow. He doesn't say rejoice in the Lord once you feel better. Or rejoice in the Lord when your birthday comes closer. Rejoice in the Lord now, always. That is a position. Meaning it's continual. It's a habitual practice. It's listed in the, in the New Testament. Listen, it's listed in the New Testament 70 times. Rejoice. And then look at the text further. What does it say? This is the working phrase. It says, Rejoice in the Lord. He is the possession. We rejoice in. Right? And if we rejoice in material things, it lasts for a moment. You can rejoice in a brand new car until it gets scratched. Yeah? You can rejoice in a brand new pair of shoes until they get scuff marks. You can rejoice in a meal until there's a fly. <laughs> as silly as it can be, friends, no matter the level or the magnitude of what that thing means to you, we quickly become discontent. Isn't it? So we need to cultivate Christian joy. He says rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in what the Lord is also busy doing. Because we don't want to do that. Amen. When the Lord comes and He prunes and He works on your heart and He points out your sin, we don't like that. We don't want to rejoice in that. Amen. Who wants to do that? Yet it's commanded, rejoice in the Lord. When? Always. Amen. Man, I love this. I love this. Can you rejoice in the government? Yes or no? <laughs> you can't. Can you rejoice in the education system? No. Can you rejoice in this temporal world? No. The world is passing away and everything along with it. What I can rejoice in is the Lord. And what He's doing, how He's shaping, how He is conforming, how He is convicting. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Same thing at the beginning of chapter 3. Paul says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Not in your circumstances. Let me put it this way. Joy is a choice. It's a choice. You can train your heart to rejoice, which means you have to look at your circumstances and say, the Lord is better. The Lord is greater. The Lord is faithful. The steadfast love of the Lord outweighs these circumstances. But when you don't do that, guess what comes knocking? Discontentment. So Paul says, if you want to have such a permanent joy, 
and I want to borrow the language that we see in the book of Colossians. Set your affections on the things above and not the things on the earth. Friends, we will lose out just in the refreshing joy of the fellowship of believers when we're focused on our distress, when we're focused on the things that seem bad. Listen, we will always grumble and complain when we do not look to Christ and His work in our lives. What does Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 say? Help me out. Let's turn there. Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Friends, this morning, I don't want to go too much further. We can pick it up next week. Friends, we look at this text. Paul says, Jesus Christ is busy working in our hearts. On a moment by moment basis. Every single day. He's working in our hearts. The issue. We choose. We choose. To not see it. We choose instead. To grumble and complain. We choose. Instead. I don't know why we do that. But we choose. To remain upset. And help me, church. How much energy does it take to be angry? How much energy does it take to be upset? It's draining, isn't it? Truly. But how much energy does it take to trust and rely on the Lord? Because it's a trick question. It's an energy relied upon the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit works in and through us. He is our comforter, isn't it? One author written a book calls the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, the silent shepherd. The silent shepherd. Because man, the Holy Spirit's working in our hearts, working in our minds. He's the one who is causing the outwork of our salvation. But we want to be upset. <laughs> we want to be angry. Let's look at David real quick. I'll close. Let's just take David as an example. In Psalm 63, which we read earlier, David is actually running for his life from his own son, Absalom. So he's out in the wilderness, fleeing for his life, not knowing what's going to happen. His son wants his throne. This is what David says. Oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. Thus I have seen you in the sanctuary. To see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. If if we have to, just in human terms, look at David's situation. 
Would you say this man has the right to complain? He has the right to be upset? Humanly speaking, of course. His own son wants to take his life. His own son wants his throne. Verse 5, he continues, he says, My mouth offers praises with joyful lips. And that's a rebuke. That is a rebuke because we are far less content with even less. With even less, these words are not on our hearts. David experiences sorrow and trouble in the wilderness, running from his son, yet he praises the Lord. He is joyful in the Lord. He is trusting that God is sovereign. That God is ruling over all his circumstances. That even would Absalom catch David and end his life, David says, my lips will praise you. My friends, this shows us that contentment comes to those who fully embrace Christ. In every circumstance. Are you with me? In every circumstance. John Huss. As he was being led. To his execution. For preaching the truth. And challenging the Catholic Church. About to be burned at the stake. Starts singing and rejoicing. He says Jesus. Son of David, have mercy on me. Rejoicing. I mean, dear friends, history tells us that when they set him on fire, he continued to sing, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Martin Luther, when challenged and threatened with execution, said, they may cut off my head, but my Savior will give me a new one. Brothers and sisters, today, in, in, the, in the 1040 window, countries such as Iran, Iraq, are losing their lives because of this faith. And what are they doing? Rejoicing in the Lord. I kid you not. Rejoicing in the Lord. Embracing that the Lord has brought them to that point. And they cannot help it but give thanks. It's a dangerous thing to have such a comfortable Christianity. We don't have a comfortable Christianity. That's not what Jesus gave us. Jesus gave us eternal life. We may not be experiencing persecution the way the world does. We may have a lot of freedom in our country right now. But because of that, we've become weak in trusting our Savior. Because we find comfort in everything else around us. When Christ alone should be our comfort. 
Christ alone. Charles Spurgeon said, I have learned to kiss the rock of ages. Well, no, no, he said, I've kissed, I've learned to kiss the wave that smashes me into the rock of ages. My dear friends, come on. Look beyond what you are dealing with. Look beyond how life has overwhelmed you. Because Christ is Lord of your life. Christ alone is Savior of your life. Rejoice in Him always. When we come back, Lord willing, next week, we've got three more commands to look at. But until then, I believe the Lord has given us enough to train our hearts to trust Him alone. Let me pray for us. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, we ask now that as humbled as we may be, as um, perhaps as much as the word stings, may we recollect the words of praise. I pray, Lord Jesus, it's so easy for us to agree and it's so easy for us to discuss these things, perhaps even preach these truths. But when it comes to their execution, when it comes to training contentment, we need your guidance. We need your spirit. We need your grace. We need your love. So Jesus Christ, in a time such as this, in a time where our church um, is experiencing a transition, in the time when many of us are experiencing personal threats on the, uh, just outside of the church body, we're asking that you would continue to knit us together. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that as we long for your day of visitation, may you remind us that these moments are but fleeting and our time with you is eternal. So may that eternal wait just press on our hearts and minds so that we would be aware of how we should respond. Christ, we pray this now in your name. Amen.